This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. This is a most interesting passage of Scripture and how current for modern times uh, that it is. And uh, I realize that where we are located now in the Scripture, uh, timely issues, um, we find that though these words written centuries ago, but they certainly apply to the times in which we live today. And for some, it's a sensitive chapter. I realize that. And, uh, but uh, we have an obligation to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. When I, when I get to heaven, one of the things that uh, God will hold me personally accountable for is the fact that I preach the whole Word. And, and not just convenient Word and words that are, are um, suitable for maybe this group or that group or this one or this one, but, but the whole truth of the matter. And so that's where we are tonight, and we are moving into verse number 6 of chapter 2. And uh, I want to go back and read verse number 4, 5, and 6. That will lead us into the place where we left off last Wednesday evening. And so if you'll look with me here in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world. Now you have to realize what what Peter's talking about here. He's talking about the impending judgment of God, judgments of God, the very act of judgments that he has already exercised on this planet. And so he says, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, you have to remember that the reason the flood took place to begin with is because of the unimaginable activities of immorality that was going on on this earth, even In the 120 years of Noah's preaching, no one budged an inch. And uh, it was a a horrible thing that was going on. And uh, I'm not going to go back and be repetitious tonight with the study that we did in verse number four. It took us about a month to get through that. But uh, the, the bottom line to this particular era of judgment that Peter's talking about prior to and up until the time of the flood uh, was the unimaginable immoralities that were going on between the fallen angels and the women on the earth. As a consequence to that, God brought in the flood. And then there was a period of time where it turned from the from basically the women leading those immoralities to the men. And so as a consequence of that, Peter reminds everybody, here we are in verse 6 tonight, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, 
condemned them with an overthrow, making them, and this word in sample means example, unto those that after should live ungodly. Let's talk about verse 6 for a moment before we get to verse 7. So Peter is reminding us here now in verse number 6 that God has and he will exercise judgment and he will not turn a deaf ear to it. He will not turn a blind eye to it. If God ever judged this world, you know, I've heard preachers say from time to time, and 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 it's not that I marvel at their theology, but uh, sometimes I'm taken back with the presentation. I've heard people say that if God didn't judge the world uh, today, like he, he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But to me, that's 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 negligent in theology because of this. God did destroy uh, this this world in ancient times in the days of Noah with the flood. And he did destroy the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of uh, their immoralities. But the truth of the matter is this. God is not pretending like none of it's happening today. And just because there's a period of time where God is not constantly throwing lightning bolts down from heaven, that doesn't mean that he's not going to do it. He has said in his word that he will judge this earth. So God did judge the earth in the days of Noah. He judged this wickedness going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, and I guarantee you, his wrath is yet to come again. And so if he's ever exercised judgment on this planet, I promise you he will do it again. So the thing is here in verse number 6, Peter's wanting us to know that God has and he will act in judgment. When God turned these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, the thing to remember is that they were burned to the ground. Burned to the ground. You know, I was I was watching... Uh, some history recently on the volcanic explosion that took place on Mount St. Helen. And when it exploded, uh, it was three particular explosions that created uh, the unbelievable devastation. But it was predicted that it was going to happen and people were in strategical places filming some of this as it took place. And it was a massive blow. When the, when the ash exploded out of the mountain, they said it went up for miles into the air. And then it went out for 200 square miles. Imagine that. Almost was a replica of what took place in 9-11. But it was a devastating sea of... This white ash that took place almost reminded uh, me of what happened uh, by the way of um, historical accounts and uh, ancient film footage uh, when America dropped the atomic bomb in Japan. But there was a devastation of lava and, and the force that took place uh, from that volcanic eruption. It was, it was devastating for miles. And I could only imagine that what took place in Sodom and Gomorrah is beyond anybody's ability to really 
accurately give a vivid picture of what took place. The only thing that I can tell you is this, that God burned those cities to the ground. And there's a passage of Scripture here that we're going to get to uh, sooner or later in our study in Second Peter, but I want you to see this now. I think I gave you these two verses uh, last Wednesday night. I want to reiterate them again for you tonight uh, because I said this, that no matter how bad things get on this earth prior to the Lord coming back, you don't have to worry about Now, I'm not saying there'll not be a nuclear war. I'm not saying that, but I will say this that this earth, this planet, will not be destroyed by nuclear explosion because this earth is reserved for God, God's wrath. So when anybody pushes the button that will affect the uh, existence of this planet in the way that we know it today, it will be God himself. And so Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, I want to give you two verses, and we'll get to them again in this study. But uh, chapter 3, verse 10 says this, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 10, if they'll get that scripture for us quickly on the screen, and then we're going to be looking at verse number 12 as well. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens, look at this, shall pass away with a great noise. Now that is, in the, in the modern language that I can present it to you, uh, it's equivalent to a nuclear explosion. I mean, the great noise, that's what it's talking about. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And then in verse number 12, the word says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God where the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And so uh, it's going to be a devastating. In fact, the Word tells us this. I believe it's in Revelation 21, where when God makes the new heaven and the new earth, and there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, the first heaven and the first earth, as we know it now, according to Scripture, will pass away. God's going to make all things new. But Peter is saying here in chapter 2 that the, the devastation that took place in the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, as we own verse number 6, was not just an act of wrath from God, but it was the exercise of making what happened an example for future generations to come. And I think as long as you have been in church... You have heard either teaching or preaching about the horrific, appalling episodes that took place in these two primary areas, Sodom and Gomorrah. You, you know the stories. You're, you're, I think you have studied Scripture enough. You, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you have heard teaching. You have heard preaching on this. And, and the truth of the matter is how... God does not change. In fact, in, in the book of Malachi, he says, I am the Lord thy God, and I change not. So God never changes. He's always the same. He's always consistent. And whatever view 
that you read early on in scriptures, whatever position that God has taken as it relates to humanity, God hasn't changed. Now, God did operate in a method and manner in instances concerning the Jew, the Jewish people. Uh, and then there was in the, in the Old Covenant and then the New Testament were, were under the New Covenant. But God does not change when it comes to sin, when it comes to morality. And uh, that, is, that is a generic statement that applies to everybody, all of humanity. And I think that the Bible, the Word, is constantly holding up these two cities and what took place in Sodom and Gomorrah as, as a living testimony, an example of God's displeasure of what was going on in that day. And this is, this is the, the, the link in then and now, and that is this. Whatever God felt about things going on then, I promise you, he still feels the same way about things going on now. He has not changed. Just because he's, and I said it a few minutes ago, just because he's not up in heaven throwing down lightning bolts on, on everybody every day doesn't mean he's not going to do it. It doesn't mean that his wrath and judgment is not going to come. It will come. And so, keeping that in mind, we have more to say about this in just a minute. But verse number seven, look at this. And delivered just Lot. Okay, so we know that that word just doesn't mean a singular connotation of the word because Lot did leave with his daughters. But this word just, Lot was a man that was counted for righteousness. It's hard to believe and grasp knowing what happened and we step back and we say, how in the world could this man be saved? And you say, well, preacher, um, were people in the Old Testament saved? I mean, because Jesus didn't die on the cross until the New Testament. And so what about this thing about the Old Testament saints being saved? Let me, let me mention it like this. And I have several times. Old Testament saints were counted as righteous in faith by looking towards the cross, looking what Jesus was going to do on the cross. Isaiah said he was, he was wounded for our transgressions. New Testament era today, the world in which we live, called the Laodicean age, that's where we are now. We, we are saved by looking back to the cross at the sacrifice, the finished work of Christ on the cross, him and him alone. All right, now, these, these Old Testament people, and we call them Old Testament saints, they were preachers of righteousness. If you look at verse number 5 again, Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. All the prophets were preachers of righteousness. God's anointed. We, we, the Old Testament's filled with that. 
So when you get to verse number seven and deliver just Lot, we know the story. It wasn't just him who left by himself. This word just talks a little bit about his, uh, for lack of better words for the moment, his, the spiritual essence of this man, his, his position in his faith. Now, in fact, let me let you look at uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse number 9. If we can get these scriptures moving quickly tonight, that would help me out. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was, look at this, Noah was a just man a, and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. So when, when you read this word just, Noah was a just man. This, this is talking about his standing in his relationship with God. He was a man of faith. He stood really basically against the world. No one else, not a living human being outside of his family, the eight people that were on the ark, no one else listened to him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. He was a man all by himself. He was a just man. Now, when it says imperfect in his generations, it doesn't mean that he was without sin. Noah did sin. Noah committed some big sins. And I hate to say it that way because I don't want to categorize, you know, uh, this is a little white lie, this is a black lie, this is a big sin. It, but I think we, we know um, the difference between gross and heinous and uh, unimaginable and unthinkable. Uh, for example, when the word says, thou shall not steal. Okay, it's one thing to go into the grocery store and steal a Milky Way, and it's another thing to go down here to the car dealership and steal a car. You know, we, we can, I think we can compute things a little bit like that within human reason, but keep in mind, sin is sin in the eyes of God. We have to remember that. So this word just, Noah was a just man. He was a righteous man. He reverenced God with all of his heart. And so when you get back to 2 Peter 7, this word just that we just read here about Noah is the same just, it's the same word that the Spirit is moving Peter to use when he is writing this about Lot. But it gets a little complicated here when you, when you start really digging deep because now it, doesn't, it doesn't complicate things with our faith. We believe it. If the Bible says it, we believe it. And that's the way we need to operate as believers. But look at this. And this is hard, I, th I think, for some people to, especially if they're argumentative about the Word. If you're going to debate the Word, if you're going to argue about the Word and, and, and do all of that stuff, uh, this is one of those scriptures that can create a lot of unnecessary conversation. But it says this. And delivered just Lot, vexed, okay? He was penetrated. He was vexed. He was overwhelmed. He was taken captive. Look at this. With the filthy conversation of the wicked. He, he was part of this. When, when Abraham and Lot decided that they could not cohabitate together, Abraham said, listen, my herdsmen are in daily conflict with yours. There's too much trouble and strife. 
We're going to end up killing each other at some point here, and the best way to solve this problem is for us to split our ways, to go separate ways. Abraham said to Lot, choose your way wherever you want to go. He said, wherever you go, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. We cannot do this. And so we know the story. They divided themselves. They separated. And the word says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. So in the journey, in the separation from his uncle Abraham, Lot, Lot wasn't running to Sodom and Gomorrah like a tourist down to the beach trying to get the sun tanner to break the first wave. He wasn't running into Sodom and Gomorrah like that. In fact, he didn't even move in it at first. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. And the reason he did that when he was making this journey is he looks out ahead and he sees all these beautiful, beautiful green grassy knolls and he sees all of these beautiful riverbanks and, and waterbeds and he saw the commerce that was going on in the city, and he said, this is a wonderful place. He said, I got a lot of animals with me. He said, I can graze my herds. I can water them. I, I can do business in the cities. And this is a perfect example how that we need to stay as far away from the edge of the cliff as we possibly can. When we pitch our tent toward trouble, sooner or later, we're going to be in it. We're going to be wrapped around it. And so the story goes here when you read this. He's now Lot, let's, let's fast forward this. He, he pulls his stakes up from being off in the vicinity, and he actually moves in. He moves in these wicked cities. And I promise you this, even though he was a just man, he believed in God, he had faith in God. And you think about all the spiritual lessons that his uncle Abraham taught him around campfires and around grazing herds. Think about the conversation that they had and the wisdom that Abraham had pouring it into his nephew and just, just overwhelming him with the spiritual truth. Think about how many times he told him the stories uh, about how God provided for him in, in the midst of confusion and he didn't know really what God was going to do, ultimately do. And uh, then later on with uh, these travels and experiences. And you just think about what Abraham had gone through and how God was dealing in his life and the lessons that he was pouring into others. By the way, this is a good point and a good thing to say right now. You should always allow the life lessons that you have learned to flow into other people's hearts. Don't keep what God's done for you bottled up inside of you. Be willing and eager to pass it on. Share it with somebody. Okay, so now we get to this verse, and this is really perplexing because Lot's a just man. We can call him saved. We can call him righteous. Understanding now, I don't want to have to keep going through this like a broken record, but uh, these, these people in the Old Testament were saved looking towards the cross. We were saved by looking back. They were counted for righteous, and that's exactly what Lot was, and we read that in another passage. But the point being in this particular scripture is this, that he had moved into Sodom and Gomorrah, and he not only was a bystander, he was now 
living in the midst of what was going on in this wicked city. So let me emphasize this. He was a man who was seriously backslidden. When he got to the, when Peter's writing of this portion of scripture that identifies Lot, he was a man seriously backslidden. And that, that goes to say this, and there are multiple ex- examples in the scriptures, but a born-again believer can get themselves in such predicaments in the world that they can become seriously, grossly backslidden. That's possible. And I'm so glad that I can take this Bible tonight and I can preach to you the doctrine of eternal security and how God does not kick you to the curb and send you to hell because you've messed up. We all mess up. Lot seriously messed up. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, the Word, it uses... It uses a mark of identification on him that just blows our mind because Peter uses the word vexed. And that means overwhelmed with filthy conversation. Now, at the end of the story, when God's raining fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah, the difference between Lot and Lot's wife was this, because there was a huge difference. Lot's wife, you, you know the story how God said, listen, I'm going to throw fire and brimstone down here. When, when it starts to happen, get out, get out quick. And he said, what did he say? Don't turn back. Don't look back. You know how the story goes. They're moving out of the city. Lot's wife stops, and she does exactly what God told everybody not to do. She turned back. She looked. And the word says that she turned into a pillar of salt. You know that. I believe that happened. Just like I believe that the whale swallowed Jonah. I believe it. I believe that David took one stone and killed Goliath. I believe that Daniel slept all night in the lion's den. I believe that Nebuchadnezzar heated the fiery furnace seven times hotter and throw those Hebrew boys in there. And he saw the fourth man in the fire. I believe all of that. But the difference between Lot, when his wife turned and looked back and turned into a pillow of salt, just like God said he would, bring judgment if you look back, Lot's wife, in the end, she loved the place. She could not, she could not really wrap her heart around the fact that they were leaving. She she was consumed with Sodom and Gomorrah. This this was her retirement place. This is where she wanted to spend the rest. She embraced it all. And she just could not bear the thought of leaving it all behind, getting out and doing what God said. So the difference between, and and this this is where we really start to see some grace in the eyes of the Lord here. Because Lot, he, he could have, this thing could have gone really a, a different direction than what it did. But Lot's wife, she loved the place. But Lot left because he hated the place. 
He should not have ever gone in. We get that. And we could say, well, if he hadn't done this, that wouldn't have happened and this wouldn't have happened. And then all because we, you can go through that all day long. But the bottom line is when God said, get out, Lot was running shirt tail in the wind. He couldn't wait to get out. She loved it. He hated it. Verse 8, I have one more minute here to make a point tonight. Okay, see, we go from something really confusing in verse number 7 because a word, Peter, he's talking about this godly man now. He's vexed. He's overwhelmed in sin. He's consumed in sin. He's taken over with the filthy conversation of the wicked. He's, he's part of it. Now, he's, I don't want you to think for one minute that Lot was a homosexual. That's not what I'm insinuating at all. But he knew exactly what this community was built and based upon. So then in verse number 8, Peter comes back to the place where he's not calling him vexed and wicked and filthy and all of this stuff. Now he's saying, for that righteous man. You see, Lot never lost his standing with God. He lost his testimony. But look at this. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, it, it vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot hated the place. His wife loved it. He hated it. We have to stop here tonight. This is so good. I don't know if you see some of these truths but they bless me when I open the Word and I begin to study, and there are so many spiritual lessons that just jump off of the page. Lord willing, we'll pick it up here next Wednesday night. I will say this as we close. Lot saw in his day what you and I are seeing today. Okay, let me say that one more time. Lot saw in his day what you and I are seeing today. If God ever felt one way about what Lot saw, I promise you this, God still feels the same way. Well, let's stop here. Much to say about this subject, and I hope it's a blessing to you. We do not hate people. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We do not hate people. We hate sin. But we don't hate people. You say, well, what, what, what is our response in a world that we live today? Well, I guess probably the greatest response is taken from that old nursery song these children sing in Sunday morning services. Jesus loves you. He loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells us so. And here's the, the bottom line truth. You know, you and I as a believer, thank God we have the truth. We know the truth. We know that the truth will set us free. But you and your life that you live every day, you may be the only Jesus that somebody hanging on to this planet by a thread may only see the only Jesus they may ever know.
we have a responsibility to let that light shine so bright that they would have to look in the face of the Holy Spirit and say no. But how will they know except we be sent? How will they know unless we preach? How will they know unless we teach? That's how important our witness is. These, friends, are the last days. I'm getting ready to preach my annual Bible prophecy series starting in January. And we are living. I mentioned the word Laodicean just a few minutes ago. This, the age that we're living in right now is the Laodicean age. It's, that word actually means the rights of the people. That's the day and age where we are right now prior to the Lord's return in the rapture. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.